0: a manufacturing operation back to the United States from China involves a lot more than just uprooting the factory. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. We're hearing a lot these days about how rising wages in China, along with the problems of maintaining extremely long supply chains, are driving manufacturing back to the U.S. That's good news for American workers, obviously, but there's a potential wrinkle in the plan. In addition to the factory, manufacturers must relocate a host of supporting services, including the handling of excess, obsolete, and defective parts. The need for strong local reverse logistics management tends to get overlooked in the excitement that surrounds the issue of reshoring. Today, I'm pleased to welcome back to the show Linda Lee, Chief Strategy Officer with the Lee Tong Group, a provider of reverse supply chain management services. She'll tell us what manufacturers need to keep in mind when relocating to the U.S., which tends to have more stringent regulations on repair, recovery, and recycling operations than countries in Asia. Turns out you need a whole ecosystem of partners, including strict adherence to environmental rules, to make it work. So here is my conversation with Linda Lee. Linda Lee, welcome back to the show. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me back. This time we're going to talk about bringing recycling and reverse logistics back to the United States, but I first want to ask you, what exactly is involved in post-industrial recovery and post-consumer recycling?
1: So these are the typical two main categories of reverse supply chain management services that are uh, basically, an essential part for any OEM who is making a product, because um, on the post-industrial side, there are, it deals with essentially things that have been created and designed and produced. Uh, it may be parts or components or semi-finished modules or prototypes or or even finished product but they have not yet been touched or used by or sold to a consumer. They are still uh, somewhere within the forward supply chain. The post-industrial recovery, meaning that it exists, defective, access, obsolete, maybe some are just prototypes. So there are actually a huge amount of disposal before the products are even touched by the consumer. And that volume is hidden from the public's eye. So when it comes to recycling or, you know, how can we save the earth from all these billions of electronic products being shipped year-round, people tend to think about the post-consumer side, which is more commonly understood as, you know, the post-consumer recycling, the things that you and I do on a daily basis when we replace a new phone or upgrade a computer, but actually there's multiple folds of, in terms of quantity more, that are deemed redundant or disposable or unnecessary for uh, various technical or production reasons that are the post-industrial recovery. So actually it's an important part of reverse supply chain.
0: You do believe, do you not, that the reshoring of manufacturing from China back to the United States is a real thing on a large scale?
1: Yeah, I like the word reshoring. That is so cool because when I started my career, everybody was talking about offshoring. So I believe that this is the momentum. This is where things are going. I traveled between Asia and North America. So uh, I think over the past five years, I definitely witnessed the change in terms of the environment so the, the rising wages in china as well as china is also tightening its policies when it comes to producer responsibility social corporate responsibility and everything else so it is becoming increasingly costly for oems to stay there and especially for now that oems are competing at a different level as they were five to seven years ago so they turn out products at warp speed, uh, is what we say. It's much faster. The product life cycle is so much shorter, and they have to compete on differentiation and innovation. So all of those things add together, point towards OEMs, are in, in, in certain product categories. They may be better off having the actual manufacturing done in, in home soil, where the biggest uh, consumer market is going to be. Um, how, that may be proven to be more beneficial.
0: How important is it that reverse logistics functions follow with it back to the United States?
1: Maybe reverse logistics or, or things that I've just explained as reverse supply chain management. It is needed. So if OEMs are reshoring, uh, as we just discussed, then we must uh, have fill in the vacuum of this long absence of electronics manufacturing in the U.S., therefore the long absence of supply chain itself, and never the, you know, let alone reverse supply chain, or everything that goes along with it. So, think about, uh, maybe use Toyota as an example. When Toyota set up a plant in the U.S., then, you know, an ecosystem of supply chain or supply chain network has to be built around it. Who's supplying this part? Who's building disassembly, who's putting it all together. So uh, same thing when you know prominent U.S. electronics OEMs move manufacturing back to the U.S., that means an ecosystem of parts suppliers and material suppliers will have to reshore themselves uh, nearby, and uh, they need to form a, a, a supply chain network. And all the things I mentioned, such as repair, um, disposal, testing, refurbishing, recycling, so all of these uh, reverse logistic or reverse supply chain associated services or functionalities have to come back.
0: So you consider reverse logistics management to be part of the essential ecosystem that surrounds a successful manufacturing operation. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, so it has to come back with it, or it's not going to work here. I mean, it, it, it sounds like it's it's crucial to the success of the reshoring initiative that the reverse logistics function accompany the manufacturing back. But there have to be some challenges involved too. I mean, we just don't take it out of Asia and plop it right back down in the United States, do we? What are some of the big challenges? Let's start. Let's start with environmental rules here in the U.S. How might they serve as an obstacle? to a successful reverse logistics management operation brought back to the U.S.?
1: Right. Actually, you, you are right. Um, for companies in Asia who have, you know, who have been providing this kind of services in Asia, it is challenging for them to move to the U.S. and do the same thing because they have to deal with state EPAs. Uh, they have to deal with different laws and regulations about environmental protection, They have to deal with data security, data privacy regulations. So anything contains memory or data cannot be handled as casually. And then most importantly, in the U.S., there are different bodies of certifications that are U.S.-specific, such as maybe R2, so the Responsible Recycler Certification, that's very U.S.-specific. And very few Asian companies have that certification, and it takes a long time to get it. So it will be a challenge for them to try to replicate what they have been doing in Asia to the U.S. It's a long learning curve. And B is for the U.S. local recyclers to upgrade themselves to start providing these more value-added and technically sophisticated services, uh, which is not familiar to them because – they are used to, you know, during the past decades of uh, not needing the sort of things in the U.S., they're doing simple post-consumer recycling, focusing on raw materials alone, right? Just like your paper, your battery, your plastic, and your metals. So for the U.S. companies, they need to upgrade themselves technologically. And often, I think, funding and know-how uh, is also an issue.
0: So there's a whole infrastructure that has to accompany a reverse logistics management operation to be successful, from transportation and actual logistics to all the stuff you just mentioned, and you feel at this point that that's still, what's the state of that? Is that really not quite in place yet, or is it coming into being, or is it going to be a real challenge?
1: There are pieces that are already, someone's already trying to figure it out in the U.S. Let's say I I am aware of um, a number of excellent uh, repairing facilities who focus on just repair and obviously we have your local municipal recycling companies who have all who who comply with all the rules and regulations and do a good job on raw material recycling but then there's all a lot of missing links in between so as I agree with you and then the OEMs are uh, they would demand an integrated service because breaking it down to bits is just not cost efficient for example, LTG, uh, where I am chief strategy officer, we saw this the future about three years ago, and then we invested our plant in in the U.S. our facilities, and we built it according to the U.S. rules and regulations. Spent long time to to obtain the U.S. license and certifications, but while still transferring our know-how of the integrated services from reverse logistics to testing to repair to recycling to remanufacturing and A to Z uh, into transfer that know-how into our U.S.A. facility. It took a very, very long time, but we are glad that it is ready to go now. And I, I believe we will see other players trying to do the same as well because the demand will be there.
0: Okay, so you've got the know-how to a certain extent and a certain part of that infrastructure set up or about to be set up. What about people? We already are, are facing, as in the case of China, also here, some uh, labor shortages on the manufacturing side. Do Americans want these jobs? Are you going to have any trouble finding the people to do them?
1: I think so far we are okay. I think we can def- we definitely are able to recruit excellent engineers in the U.S., very highly educated and and capable ones and i think workers can be trained by these engineers to perform some of these quite sophisticated tasks and the working environment when it's handling high value electronics like a tablet or mobile phone it is still relatively more comfortable and interesting than, than some of the more heavy industrial labor i suppose and especially i think for students if you uh, you may know that if you have kids and then if they, they like to take things apart. So for the kids who grow up loving to take apart the computer and the clocks at home and putting it back together and who end up going to engineering school or a technical college, this is a really, really cool job for them. <laughs> because it's taking things apart and figure out how to reuse everything that goes into it and mm-hmm. make it something else.
0: Here in America, we give lip service to the value of recycling and reuse. But when it comes to one of those facilities being near us, we sometimes have a different opinion. And I'm wondering if you're going to run into any problems of the NIMBY or not-in-my-backyard attitude of areas of the country where you're going to find it difficult to find a site for these operations, or is that not an issue?
1: Oh, no, no, no. So I think what the residents are mostly worried about is actually the refineries, so when they're actually refining the recycled raw materials like rubber or plastic or metal where some kind of smelting or burning is involved. That's what people are most sensitive to. Obviously, we don't do that. We don't do the refinery part. It goes to the local municipal approved facilities that are have long existed in for decades. Uh, what we focus on is the high value added procedures and work such as harvesting a part from a used product that can no longer is no longer functional but the part itself can be harvested and remanufactured. So for example, your your tablet is dead. The motherboard is gone. But the L C D from the tablet can be harvested and re in a way that it, it becomes an LCD screen at the back of your taxi. You know all those New York taxis that have the touchscreen TV panel on the back of the seat? So that LCD can come from a harvested tablet LCD. So this is the kind of value-added work that we do, not, not the stuff that people worry about when it comes to, you know, polluting the environment.
0: Okay, but in terms of what's going on in the facility and protection for workers, there are a certain amount of hazardous materials that have to be handled. Is that an issue in terms of ensuring safety and what types of measures do you have to take in order to ensure that that that, uh, is safe for the workers?
1: We make sure we follow all the rules that the government bodies have already laid out. So, for example, the R2 and Reels certification is very detail-oriented. It, it captures every single little detail when it comes to EHS, so environmental health and safety practices. So we we actually feel even more comfortable when we are in the U.S. because typically workers and management are more aware. Uh, and more, and they they are more sophisticated when it comes to EHS practices. And then, on the other hand, I think the hazardous materials in the electronic products are not as dangerous as you think if you handle them properly. The mostly it is the battery which will go into special packaging and special container, and everything else is quite safe. It doesn't have all those heavy metals or or other things that, you know, the old CRT monitors and all those things that used to have, actually new generations of electronic products are much less hazardous than the ones before.
0: Last time we spoke, we talked about, or at least the uh, the topic was, what to do about all that electronic waste. Now, your operation is, uh, the purpose of your operation is to minimize if not eliminate waste wherever possible, to reuse, to recycle. But there's got to be some waste, some unusable parts or materials that come out of an operation like this. If, if that's so, what do you do about uh, discarding that in a safe and environmentally responsible manner?
1: Typically, the parts and components that cannot be repurposed are the plastic parts and the uh, batteries, as well as the board, the PCB board. So the plastics, we already established a closed-loop recovery solution. So the plastics go back to the original virgin plastic uh, supplier who will be able to closed-loop recycle it, add it back to the new batch of plastic that they're supplying to the same OEM. So this is actually a big story. It's probably one of the world's first closed-loop plastic recovery systems in the world. And the batteries, which is mostly lithium, lithium polymer nowadays, it goes to special refineries who deal with lithium batteries that recovers the rare earth material. And the boards, the printed circuit boards, they go to the smelters that are in each different state. We actually do our annual carbon footprint reports. We do our own tracking and i dare say that's because our repurposing and reusable rate is so high so actually we have not really witnessed a meaningful figure or significant figure going to landfill at all
0: your u.s arm retech usa currently operates a facility in the dallas area and i believe you're looking to add more facilities what's the build-out plan there uh, ultimately, how many facilities do you think you could sustain in the United States? So
1: our Dallas facility has been around for two years, and it already grew uh, increased capacity three times. So we are we have planned to expand to both West Coast and East Coast in the next two years.
0: What about Mexico? We've been talking about the United States only right now. Is that a possibility?
1: There has been already, and there is continue going to be uh, manufacturing and supply chain for high-tech products in Mexico so for example there's the Flextronics plant there is the previous Nokia plant so now it belongs to Microsoft um, these are some very significant ones and they will continue to exist when it comes to reverse logistics or reverse supply chain services the goods coming out of Mexico that needs processing or treatment are typically transferred to another country, so it could be U.S., could be Hong Kong, for further processing, so not locally in Mexico, because the infrastructure is not really there.
0: You know, with shrinking product life cycles of consumer electronics especially, I wonder to what extent, whether recycling or post-industrial recovery continues to make sense. I mean, can you take these materials from older models and incorporate them into newer ones? Is that an easy and irregular thing to do or is there a point at which a newer model simply can't accommodate the old materials and the recycling aspect of it just doesn't figure into it? That
1: question is a little bit contradictory on its own. Um, it, is exactly <laughs> okay. because, I, it is exactly because the life cycle is getting shorter and shorter, therefore reverse Supply chain services such as repairing, repurposing, remanufacturing, recycling is, more, is increasingly important. The replacement rate is 20% nowadays, meaning that if 100 million new products are sold every year, 20 million comes back um, through various different channels, and mm-hmm. they need to be handled. Either reuse the parts. But by reusing the parts, meaning somebody has to harvest that part and reprogram it and fix its flaws and test it and warranty it, and so that it can be used in a new product.
0: Well, that was my question: to what it, to to what extent can it be used in a new product? I mean, the new products can accommodate older parts, even though they're new models.
1: Some of the OEMs are incorporating design for recycle principles in their new product designs. Uh, in whenever they do achieve that, that means that they try to use more standard components, generation after generation, but because they're also trying to incorporate more and more innovation or difference in newer models, because if it's the same as the last one, why would you buy the new one? So there will always be stuff that you cannot reuse.
0: Last time we spoke, you said that we were still not deriving maximum use from recycled materials from old devices, and I'm wondering... Are things getting better? What's the outlook for that? Do you expect in the future that that will become uh, a better and more efficient and more usable type of operation?
1: I believe to increase the recovery rate, no matter it is repurposing the parts, or recovering the raw materials. It is not something that one party along the supply chain ecosystem can do alone. It requires what we call supply chain collaboration. So the virgin material suppliers, the product designers, the engineers, the OEMs, and uh, with us, such as LTG, LTG, a reverse supply chain service provider or recycler, we all have to work together so just because I can do better on recycling doesn't mean more or higher yield of recovery is going to be reused. That partially depends on the virgin material suppliers. It depends on the designers who design the product. So everybody have to collaborate. It's if only one party, you know, for if it's only up to one party, then it's you know the improvement level is limited. So I I say I'm a big advocate for collaboration.
0: Linda Lee, I'm so happy that you could join us again to talk about a new aspect of this issue of recycling and reverse uh, logistics and reuse of materials and how it's all coming to the United States to accompany the reshoring and manufacturing. So thanks very much for being with us again.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to talking to you again.
0: That was my conversation with Linda Lee of the Lee Tong Group. Talking about the challenges of operating a reverse supply chain in support of manufacturing in the U.S., we're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes.